Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast on this Valentine's Day. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. You got your uh, Valentine's uh, Day dinner coming up here in a few minutes. Yeah, it's nothing too crazy. We we don't go crazy on Valentine's Day because my wife's birthday is February 25th. So we usually do a little smaller Valentine's, a little bit bigger for her birthday. So I think we're just going to go get a burger or something tonight and uh, come back to the house, watch a movie or something, and just have a good night. Just hang out. How was your Super Bowl weekend? Oh, great weekend. Awesome weekend. Waste management and Super Bowl has turned into one of the best days of the year as the waste management has grown into the behemoth that it has. And for us golf nerds, it's a ton of fun. Uh, And then we found out as well, my sister's gender reveal. They're also having a girl. It'll be about four months behind us. Uh, We'll have the, the two girl cousins about four months apart, and they just live about a mile down the road. So it was a fantastic, fantastic weekend. It'll be fun. Get to grow up together. That's that's awesome, man. Yeah, kind of a built-in best friend down the street. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, it's uh, been a rough Monday. It's always tough going to work on a Monday after the Super Bowl, but uh, we'll talk plenty about the Super Bowl as well as get into Oklahoma State basketball. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring the pod as always. Uh, Colby, Oklahoma State basketball gets a big win over West Virginia. They've been up and down most of the year, but really a a flat-out dominant win over West Virginia. And I know this is not a vintage West Virginia side, but pretty impressive win for Oklahoma State in a season that hasn't had too many of those. Rebound, rebound, rebound. It killed Oklahoma State against TCU, and Oklahoma State clearly made it a point of emphasis throughout the week. 48 to 24 was the advantage in rebounding Saturday against West Virginia. It was clearly an emphasis from Mike Boynton. Musa Cisse went beast mode on Saturday. That is the Musa Cisse that we all thought that we were getting from Memphis. 18 points, 10 rebounds, threw a block in there. Six of his rebounds were offensive rebounds. Uh, M.A. Moncrief had six rebounds, seven rebounds for Avery Anderson, who was getting in there and mixing it up quite a bit for a guard. He had 18 points despite not making a three in that game. It was, especially in that second half, Carson, we were uh, putting together a crib and a dresser and all that stuff. We had it on in the background, and we actually went and got lunch at halftime, and when we hopped back in the car, uh, the second half was just starting. So we, we, when we got in the car, Oklahoma State was up by six. We were on the road for seven or eight minutes, 10 maybe. And whenever we got out of the car, Oklahoma State was up by 20. And then they just kept going from there. Ends up being a huge, huge win and a necessary win, Carson. Back to 500, five and seven in conference. You really needed that one going into what will obviously be a tough matchup tonight at Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, eight o'clock tip tonight. Oklahoma State visiting the Jayhawks up in uh, Lawrence. They, uh, they won the last time they were there, which was also a big Monday. So yeah, big game for Oklahoma State. But Back to your point on the, the West Virginia game, Oklahoma State can be can play some bully ball. I mean, they had, let's see here, they had 24 layups and 12 dunks, and it was the most points they had scored in Big 12 play this year. And, and you mentioned it, the rebounding, 48 to 24. This was uh, this was bully ball. I mean, that's and that's frankly what I think Oklahoma State has to do because we've 
I sound like a broken record talking about how poor they are shooting the basketball. But the again, as I mentioned last week, the emergence of Musa Cisse changes this team. Going from a guy who's just a, a role player, which it felt like he was at times early in the year, to at times dominant against a really good big that West Virginia has. Uh, it was a really impressive performance by, by Musa Cisse. I know he wasn't our milk carton guy, but Colby, can't you see when you just watch the guy just physically and just the way he was able to dominate West Virginia that he's kind of, he's a cut above the rest of his teammates, I think, just in terms of uh, potential perhaps in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, obviously the size does it. You look at his arms and I mean, his arms just feel like they hang down to his ankles. His wingspan is ridiculous. I think it's listed at seven foot four uh, off the top of my head, which is just crazy, crazy wingspan. Now, obviously not a very good free throw shooter. He's a big man and that's plagued him a little bit throughout the season, but consistent minutes for Musa Cisse. I mean, 18 and 10 is big time. And obviously West Virginia, you know, last year they have Oscar Sheboy. He goes to Kentucky and he's just been a monster at Kentucky. That was a huge, huge loss for West Virginia and for Huggins' crew. But uh, Musa Cisse, I mean, more of that is what Oklahoma State needs because he is such a physical mismatch, Carson, that opposing teams, you know, you want to play small against Oklahoma State? I would welcome that if I'm Oklahoma State. Put Musa Cisse right in the middle of their small lineup and just let him go to work. And, and if he's spinning jump hooks or backing guys down and dunking, whatever it is, I'm going to live with what the result is if a team wants to play me small. Go ahead, because I've got this guy with a seven foot four wingspan, and he's going to dunk on you. I think that needs to become much more of a staple for Oklahoma State uh, as we play these. What do we have? Six games left with this group, Carson, and then it's all over with the NCAA punishments. It's, it's hard to believe we're that close to the end of the season. Wild, isn't it? I mean, I think part of that's the season starts just so early, you know, into before and in 2021, leading into 2022. And yeah, you're right. It's it's flying by. And I mentioned this with the win in Bedlam and how it was kind of bittersweet and that they don't have a postseason to look forward to. And games like Bedlam are are kind of some of those carrots they have in front of them to that's really all they had to look forward to. And I think tonight's game against Kansas is certainly one of those. I mean, playing in, in the Fog Allen Fieldhouse is, is always a treat. It's a, it's always a tough place to wet, win, obviously. But um, tonight's game against Kansas is one that I think they can kind of have circled for a long time. But before we get into that game, Colby, uh, Bryce Williams back at it. They're one and five without Bryce Williams this season. And uh, the second half, he really – Turned it on for them because, you know, Avery Anderson uh, was in foul trouble, picked up his third foul. And then uh, Bryce Williams really helped extend the lead to where the OSU was up by 20. And he's kind of got some some alpha dog in him, does Bryce Williams. We, we've seen that over his career. And and he stepped up when, when they really needed him with Avery Anderson in foul trouble. Yeah, he did. And that's what Oklahoma State has needed from Bryce Williams. You know, he was the leading scorer on the team when he got injured. And then he came back in those first two games off injury. He just wasn't himself. And I understand it takes some rhythm, some time to get back into that rhythm and to get back to kind of that player you were before the injury, especially when so many guys are getting minutes and there's only one basketball to go around. But he just really didn't look like himself those first two games after injury. And he did on Saturday. It wasn't a massive scoring game. It was nine points. He came off the bench, which obviously uh, is a little bit different for him as as well and I think his role has been a little less defined this season because Bryce Thompson transfers in I, I think that that kind of just threw a wrench in the tire a little bit with what exactly his role was going to be on this team but I think Mike Boynton is in the situation of you have so many guys and you don't have like the elite Cade Cunningham you just have a lot of good players so 
it's obvious he's just kind of riding whoever the hot hand is that day. Like at times it's been Keelan. At times we've seen Keelan get 27, 28 minutes in games this season. Keelan plays eight minutes on Saturday. And then Musa Cisse, who's had his minutes reduced at times, he plays 26 minutes. Moncrief, what, what did he play? Three minutes last week in the middle of the week? And then he plays 16 minutes on Saturday. So it's very much riding the hot hand. Uh, and Bryce Williams was a big part of that early in the second half. He was a big impact player for Oklahoma State. Uh, so it was good to see him get some good minutes and get some some good shots up and kind of start to get back into a rhythm because he's another guy that can really help Oklahoma State if they're going to get back to level in conference play, which to, to do that, they'd have to go four and two down the stretch in their final six conference games. And that is a big, big ask in the Big 12. Definitely. And another guy that's kind of coming around is Avery Anderson, the guy he he spelled who was in foul trouble. You know, Avery scores 18 points, and he did most of his work at the free throw line. Shot 12 free throws, made 10 of them. Uh, this is more the Avery Anderson we're accustomed to seeing, and I, I thought it was really key for him. You know, he's still struggling to shoot the ball, just 4 of 13 from the field. But, Colby, if he can get to the line double-digit times – that's that's how Oklahoma State's going to get a lot more points, and that's why they scored 81 against West Virginia. Yeah, it is. That's big time for Oklahoma State. And the free throw shooting on Saturday was obviously better than it has been throughout the season. 26 of 34 for Oklahoma State. And part of the reason that you shoot so many free throws, 34 compared to West Virginia, 16, it goes back to that rebounding, Carson. You're getting more offensive rebounds, so you're getting more chances close to the rim. 14 offensive rebounds for Oklahoma State compared to eight for West Virginia. More looks close to the rim. It also helps, Carson, that one of the best free throw shooters on your team, Avery Anderson, gets there 12 times. That shows you that Avery Anderson is being aggressive, getting fouled, and he's able to convert. Bryce Thompson gets there eight times. Bryce Williams gets there four times. Matthew Alexander Moncrief gets there four times. So you get some of your better free throw shooters getting to the line with, you know, more quantity. That helps your percentages go up. So that's a big deal for Oklahoma State. But I'm I'm really kind of fired up for this game tonight, Carson, because when they played earlier this season in Stillwater, Oklahoma State hung with them for a half, and they, those teams looked pretty close, and then Kansas just shot the lights out of the gym in the second half. So obviously winning at Allen Fieldhouse is a tall task and a big ask, but I think Oklahoma State could play with them for a little bit. And then if you get it competitive in the second half, who knows? Well, I think we've seen – you know, Mike Boynton have some success against Kansas because they've been able to match up athletically just on the defensive end and with their length and athleticism. And I think that's something that always has kind of given Kansas problems when they've gone up against Mike Boynton coach teams. And I think that's, that's something that they can really lean on in this game. And I, it's kind of startling Colby looking at the, the box scores lately, you can almost Envision yourself sitting in the, in the film room with Mike Boynton. They shot 13 threes for the entire game against West Virginia. Only one, two, three, four, five players on the, that, that played shot a three-point attempt. And Avery Anderson had five of the 13. So it, it's kind of wild in this day and age of three – uh, threes and layups and just the way the NBA has evolved and the way the college basketball has tried to emulate the NBA, you can really see that OSU is either that's by choice. I think it's by, by force. They have to force this. They they're zigging when the rest of the, the college basketball landscape is zagging, you know, West Virginia shoots 27 threes to Oklahoma state's 13, but you're seeing some positive results and, and the results are they scored 81 points. So it's clear to me, Colby, that Mike Boynton has gone above and beyond to tell them we're not shooting threes, guys. We're playing inside out. Avery Anderson, you've got a green light. 
Bryce Thompson. If you want to shoot one, you're open. You can. The rest of you guys, Keelan, maybe. But past that, you better be wide open if you're taking a three. Yeah, and it's interesting. You kind of say they're zigging when everybody else is zagging. You got to play with your personnel, right? Like, Keelan has been good at times this year, but he's very streaky. Avery Anderson is a, a good, not great three-point shooter. Same thing with Bryce Thompson and Bryce Williams. There are no lights-out shooters on this team. There's no Phil Forte. There's no Keaton Page. There's no Thomas DeZogwe. There's no Lindy Waters, who, who got some minutes for the Thunder last night. Um, th there's just not a sharp shooter on this roster. So you play to your strengths. Your strength, it's, your strength is Musa Cisse, 18 and 10. Matthew Alexander Moncrief gets 16 minutes. Caleb Boone gets 16 minutes. Uh, pardon me, gets 10 minutes. You, you've got size. You've got length. Be a good defensive team. Be a good rebounding team. And just hammer the boards and get in the paint and make life difficult for other teams because you're so physical. That's Oklahoma State's game. It's not launching it from 24 feet. That's how Oklahoma State finds itself uh, at a point where they were pre-Saturday, 11 and 12, sub 500 on the year, four and seven in conference. That's not where you want to be. That style just doesn't work for this team. You've got to play to your personnel. Your personnel aren't very good three-point shooters. Okay, don't shoot nearly as many of them. They shot less than half of what West Virginia shot. West Virginia launched up 27 threes. Oklahoma State shot 13. I really like that recipe for Oklahoma State. It's a really good recipe. Now, did you watch the game? Did you watch the whole game? I watched, again, it was kind of on in the background. We were putting the crib and dresser and nursery and everything together and then listened to a chunk of it on the radio. So wasn't actively watching. I, I would say I, I passively watched the game. Well, the reason I ask is I got three tweets <laughs> all kind of in a row. Uh, apparently, the commentators for the game referenced that it's a good building for shooters uh, from Tanner Price. The ESPN announcers just confirmed that players shoot better in GIA. Even the, and this is from Mr. Steele 273. Even the broadcast team is saying GI, GIA is easy to shoot in. My conspiracy theory is taking off. It seems like it's going mainstream. I don't know if those guys listened to the, the PFB podcast. Maybe they were searching for any and all Oklahoma state information they could find, but the announcers on the game broadcast uh, agreed with my conspiracy theory. Yeah, now, I mean, West Virginia didn't really uphold their end of the bargain, but hey, it doesn't work every yeah. single night. I was going to say it was early in the game whenever it looked like the conspiracy theory was conspiring. And then <laughs> West Virginia went a little cold in that second half. 28 points for West Virginia in that second half. And it was really the first six minutes of the second half where they couldn't buy a bucket. And Oklahoma State was scoring every time down the floor. Also, Taz Sherman is just a scorer for West Virginia. And anytime he goes, I mean, he went four of 16 from the field, one of 10 from beyond the arc. That's one guy for West Virginia, and that's their best shooter, their best scorer. So part of that, I'm sure, has to do with Oklahoma State's length and athleticism defensively. Part of that is he just had a bad shooting day. But early in the game, it looked like your conspiracy theory was dead on, and then West Virginia said, nope, ice pack on all the shooting. Yeah, Taz Sherman would definitely disagree with my uh, conspiracy theory. See, he must have not grown up in playing in high school gyms similar to GIA. He, he must have grown up, it says from Missouri City, Texas, he must have played in some big arenas, you know, those those neutral site high school games. I know some there's some high school games going on at Paycom tonight. Uh, Bethany and uh, Kingfisher are playing there because Bethany's gym was destroyed. But I'm guessing Taz played in some some bigger venues that are not shaped like like Gallagher because he, he had a nightmarish night uh, <laughs> in Stillwater. And Colby, I just got triggered again um, looking at the schedule for Oklahoma State moving forward. Bedlam's at 11 a.m. again. In a, in a few weeks. 
Uh, like, I think it this Saturday, isn't it? No, Bedlam was last weekend, but Bedlam on the 26th in Norman is at 11 a.m. Okay, next Saturday. Yeah, I saw that it was 11 a.m. I just thought that it was this Saturday. This Saturday's Kansas State, Baylor a week from yeah. today, and then OU next Saturday. Yep, 11 a.m., Carson. Rooster kick again for Bedlam. Why not? Although, OU had a home game recently. Who was that against? They almost were at a disadvantage by the opposing team. I think it might have been Texas Tech. There was a lot of Tech fans in the arena. So, I think Oklahoma State fans can uh, – can infiltrate Lloyd Noble on Saturday at 11 a.m. That's going to be kind of a sleepy crowd, and uh, I think there'll be plenty of orange in there, but Oklahoma State obviously has their their work cut out for them tonight against Kansas. Uh, any more thoughts on OSU hoops before we move on to the Super Bowl, Colby? Uh, just looking forward to tonight's game. Again, just keep it close in the second half. Give yourselves a chance. Kansas can shoot the ball. They can very easily run away from you uh, and hide. So stay close, and, you know, you never know what happens in the last five minutes if you're in a close game. Milk carton? Who we got on the milk carton? Uh, milk carton. Great question. I didn't have a milk carton prepared. Um, I mean, it's hard to throw a guy who's who's balling out on there. Uh, Musa Cisse had a great game Saturday against West Virginia. Uh, Bryce Thompson was good. Bryce Williams was good. Avery Anderson was good. Let's go. How about Keelan? Keelan, eight, eight minutes, three points on Saturday. He's had a couple of games this year. Again, he's streaky. So you've got to catch Keelan on one of the nights that he's on. But when he's on, Boynton will give him 20-plus minutes. So if he's on tonight, to beat Kansas, you're going to have to hit some of those threes. If he can be on tonight, that'll be big time for Oklahoma State. So we'll throw Keelan out there. Hopefully, this will be one of those weeks where he gets hot. I like that pick. That's a, that's a good one. We'll go we'll go Keelan Boone uh, together on that one. Uh, Super Bowl. Did, did you uh, have a big Super Bowl party? Were you watching with friends? Or what was that like for you? So we had uh, my sister's gender reveal was yesterday afternoon. It was touchdowns or two twos was the theme. Uh, ended up being two twos, and then we. And you're just in full up. on like dad baby mode now. It's a hundred impressive. Yeah, I tell you what, putting the crib together, washing all of her little clothes, her tiny little onesies and socks and everything, getting those all put away in the dresser. It it all felt very real Saturday when we fin like we looked at the nursery and it was kind of set up. We still got some a few things to put on the walls. But looking at a, a mostly done nursery makes it feel very real. So, yeah, very much getting into dad mode as we're less than seven weeks away now. Uh, but, yeah, we just – everybody hung out there afterward and watched the game, and uh, it was fun. There were a couple of kids running around having a good time. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. What, what was it for you? Well, I was watching, as I mentioned on the show, I had – I bet the Bengals before the playoffs at 18-1 to 1 and expected to hedge if they somehow came out of the AFC, which they did, but – the Rams were too big of favorites to really hedge anyway competently. You kind of suggested maybe if the Rams get down, I could hedge with the live betting. But I was watching my buddy Vic Ramsey's house. He's a huge Cincinnati Bengals fan, a big Cincinnati oh, Bearcat fan. Uh, I know you know him well. Um, and so it's a it was a pro Bengals household. And the, the guy had never seen the Bengals win a playoff game in his lifetime. He just had a girl. His his first child was a girl as well. And his child only knows the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. And he had people over the first round against the Titans. So he just kept having people over for the game all the way up to the Super Bowl. And so I was like, you know what? It's bad juju to hedge anyway. I'm just going to ride this ticket with the Bengals. And, and things were looking great. And uh, let's just say <laughs> Vic was not happy as, 
at some of the flags that flew at, at the end of the game. I thought the holding, the defensive holding call was so bad, so egregious because we're playing for a world championship here. It better be blatantly obvious that he held the receiver for you to throw a flag in that situation. It better be borderline assault. And I thought the linebacker, uh, Wilson, played it pretty well. He touched the guy, but he didn't grab him. And uh, that, that to me, I think was when uh, the tide turned and Cincinnati was pretty much cooked after that. Yeah, I thought the – so there were two holding calls. Might have even been on back-to-back plays. Maybe there was one, one play in between. The one on the linebacker over the middle on Cup, that was a disaster of a call. There was – especially as physical as they let them play all night, and then you, you run that one out there, there just wasn't holding there. It was great coverage by a linebacker on one of the best receivers in the league. You throw the flag there, that one was really tough. The one by the front pylon on, I believe it was Eli Apple, that one was pretty blatant and obvious. He pulled him back by his jersey, which prevented the touchdown catch on that play, which he then got two plays later. So, yes, the one bad call on the holding across the middle was tough. You know, did it offset the T. Higgins right after halftime, pulling Jalen Ramsey down by his face mask and scoring the 75-yard touchdown? I don't know. It's hard to say. Do these things offset? One's in, you know, early in the third quarter. That one was bad, too. <laughs> that one was bad, too. It's, but, again, it's – do those things offset? Or it's like when it happens in the game, it's so hard to, to decipher all of that. All in all, I thought it was a pretty good game. Uh, exciting at the end. It kind of turned into a punt fest for a good part of that second half. It was just tough for me. I, I didn't have any – I didn't have any skin in the game. I didn't have any bets on the game. I I don't, I'm not a Rams fan. I'm not a Bengals fan. I wasn't around huge Rams or Bengals fans. So it was just kind of kick back, relax and watch a football game. Not certainly not the most invested I've ever been in a Super Bowl, but still a good Super Bowl. Did you make any prop bets? I did not make any prop bets. I was, it was just such a busy weekend. I never even did anything. It's Saturday. We were going, going, going all day. Yesterday was from pretty much 10 in the morning till 10 at night. We were just going, 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 doing things. And, uh, you know, I was, I was watching golf on my phone all day yesterday. So I never even went into my betting site. So no, I didn't, I'd like I said, I had no, no skin in the game whatsoever. It was, which is kind of a, honestly, for me, a little bit of a weird way to watch a Super Bowl. And next year, I think I'll have some action on it because it was a little more boring to me this year with no action on it. I had a few uh, hits. I, I, you know, I lost my Bengals overall bet, but I had some uh, some prop wagers that hit. Would you like to hear them? Absolutely. I took the over on Joe Mixon rushing yards, which was at like 62 and a half. He, he cleared it really late. I think it was like a couple of minutes into the fourth quarter he got over it. So I guess not too late, but later than I was hoping for. But that one hit. I hit um, Van Jefferson at least three catches. So I think a two and a half over two and a half catches. Odell uh, going down helped. That certainly helped. I was sweating there for a while. Uh, he, but he ended up with, I think four catches or so. Uh, and then uh, the color of the Gatorade. I nailed the color of the Gatorade, blue, blue Gatorade. Oh yeah. That was a good play. Cause if the Rams won, it was going to be blue Gatorade. Well, and I, <laughs> I read a way too detailed synopsis of how Gatorade picks the Gatorade. They don't do it by team colors. They do it. They they prick it. They pick it before the teams make the Super Bowl. And they, it's a lot of its marketing and what flavor they're trying to. It's a very long, convoluted. I can't believe I spent however many not the ninety seconds I spent reading this this diatribe about it. But the thing I read was pretty confident it was going to be blue, and sure enough, it was blue. So I think both teams had blue, honestly. 
Uh, you might have been right. Yeah, that could have been it. But, but uh, I usually never about... bet the props because if I am betting, I want to bet on the football because I'm a football junkie. I, I want to bet on something that I at least know a little bit about. So I, I don't know. It just makes me feel better going in, even though I probably have the same probability betting a prop. Uh, but no, I, I've never really bet the props, but I still always think that the props are fun. Well, and I think a lot of people bet Odell to be the first touchdown scorer. I almost did, but didn't. But I also parlayed Mixon's rushing total with Joe Burrow over one and a half passing touchdowns. So that that didn't hit. But that's about it. I didn't do a, a ton of them, but you know, my bigger ones certainly certainly came through. So yeah, uh, it was a good Super Bowl waste management was awesome too. Uh, Zach Robinson, Super Bowl champion. Yeah, yeah, shout out. Round of you applause, could, Zach Robinson. They showed him on the broadcast a couple times, so it was good to see Zach, and uh, that's the Oklahoma State affiliation for the Super Bowl. But before we get out of here, Colby, let's do some uh, bullets and BBs, shall we? Uh, what do you got for me? Bullets and BBs? I mean, my bullet has to go to Musa Cisse, 18 and 10 on 8 of 12 from the floor. It's just as efficient as he's been all year. It's as dominant as he's been inside all year. It was... It was a phenomenal, phenomenal day for Musa Cisse. And hopefully, again, we've only got six more of these, which is crazy to say out loud and to think about. Uh, hopefully, we get more of that in these final six. That's a good one. Um, let's see here. Who am I going with? I'm going to go with Avery Anderson. Again, he's he struggled mightily this year from, from what we thought he was going to be, but 18 points, getting to line 12 times. More of that, hopefully, starting tonight against Kansas and, and Oklahoma State's going to going to win some games here down the stretch, but stuffed out do Cissé. That guy is, it's just, gosh, this is such a shame with Cissé. Just that's like the type of center that OSU had needed for like a decade when they had Travis Ford. And now they have this like freak NBA center talent on this team that literally can't participate in the postseason. It's just a, it's quite the tease, but what do you got for, uh, for BBs? BB Carson goes out to all of the haters of the Super Bowl halftime show. Was it the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life? No. Was it very good? Yes. And some people were just going to be mad at it regardless. Uh, just have fun, people. Enjoy life. Kick back. Relax a little bit. That was a fun halftime show. It was very nostalgic for a lot of people. They covered a lot of uh, eras with that, whenever you look at Snoop, Mary J. Blige, 50 Cent, Eminem, and then some of the new school with Kendrick, it was the, the reason I said it wasn't the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's just, it was so tough because you had so many artists out there that you didn't get to hear multiple songs from each one. It was just like quick hits from each one, uh, which left me wanting more of my favorites, name, namely Kendrick Lamar. Um, but yeah, it was a, a great Super Bowl halftime show, and the people who are ripping it uh, just need to kick back and relax a little bit. Did we really need Mary J. Blige? Um, I, I, I understand why Mary J. Blige was out there because it was why? kind of the Dr. Dre theme. It was, it was all artists that Dr. Dre had kind of found and created, is my he understanding. Created, I didn't know he discovered Mary J. Blige. My understanding is that he did. So okay. that kind of was the connection. Uh, I also think that it was probably in large part to have a female voice out there. So it wasn't just an all male dominated halftime show. Uh, I thought she was fine. I thought she was good. It just, uh, again, most of those older ones are actually, I wasn't listening to their music in real time when they were popular. It, it's music that I've listened back to now, having been born in the early 90s. I was a little young whenever Snoop was at his height, whenever Mary J. Blige was at her height. Even Eminem at his height was kind of uh, probably, I was probably 
fifth grade, middle school, maybe whenever Eminem was at his peak. Uh, but yeah, Kendrick was my favorite of those because that's a little more my my era, my generation. Oh, Trey's album in 2001 did not leave 16-year-old Carson's CD player in his 92 Ford Explorer for about a year and a half, at least a solid year, maybe two wow. years. I mean, I listened to that thing until the whole thing skipped. That was like my favorite album uh, growing up. That was that was peak high school era Carson. So I was loving that. But like when the Rolling Stones did the Super Bowl, they didn't say they had needed like a female voice. That was my only point on the, the Mary J thing. So yeah, no, you're right. I think it was more the Dr. Dre connection. If I had to guess again, I, I don't know. I wasn't in the meetings, but that'd be my guess. It would be mean for me to give my BB to 50 cent for looking like dollar bill. So I'm not going to do that. Somebody commented on your tweet and said inflation caught up to him. Yeah, that was that was rough. How long was he hanging upside down, by the way, before oh, he had to cut down? Great question. So that's an ode to the music video, Friend of Club, 20 years ago or whatever, uh, whenever he was a much younger, much fitter man. Uh, yeah, that could not have been comfortable. I'll say, though, I mean, for being upside down, all that blood rushing to your head, I mean, he was still, he was still belting that. It didn't really affect his performance much, I didn't think. Oh, he did fine. I just, it was kind of stunning to see him uh, in that state, but um, that's not my BB. I'm going with, uh, oh, the pride of Norman, Zach Taylor, oh. head coach of the Bengals, did a great job this year. Um, I don't know what in the world you're thinking running your backup running back, Samaj P. Ryan, directly at Aaron Donald with the game on the line on third and one. You know, it's, it's must be. It's must make. You're out. You're running out of time. You're running out of timeouts, and you run your backup running back, not your all pro running back in Joe Mixon. Your backup running back directly at literally the best player in football. I thought that was was really, really, really bad. Yeah, I talked about this this morning actually on the golf pod. We were talking Super Bowl, and I'm like, how do you a take Mixon off the field? Because look, P Ryan was a monster in college. P. Ryan's a very average NFL running back, whereas Mixon might be the seventh or eighth best back in the league. P. Ryan's probably, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how you rank backup running backs. He's 45th best running back in the league, something like that. You take Mixon off the field, not only on third and one, Carson, but he's off the field on fourth and one as well. P. Ryan ended up being the target of the spinning flail from Joe Burrow because P. Ryan was the guy uh, who split out of the backfield on fourth and one to run a route when Mixon's a pretty darn good receiving back. I didn't understand the personnel choice to have P. Ryan out there on those two massively important plays. And I certainly didn't understand the play call when your offensive line is struggling as much as it is. You take the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands on third and one. I, I just, I'm convinced that if you give Joe Burrow two chances, to pick up a yard, he's going to get it. Now, if you turn around and hand it to Pirine one time, you know what you're doing? You're cutting Joe Burrow's chances to make a play in half. I don't like that. So I, I even last night, as soon as the third and one play happened I, at our Super Bowl party, I was immediately massively critical of having Pirine out there in that moment and of the play call. It just, it made absolutely no sense. Also on the fourth and one, I can kind of understand if you don't want to throw a fade with the game on the line on fourth and one, but it was one of the few times all night that there was not a safety over the top of Jamar Chase. It's Jamar Chase on Jalen Ramsey. That's my best guy on your best guy. I think my guy's better. Give Jamar Chase a chance. You know, people always talk about call players, not plays. That's what the Rams were doing. Fourth and one at their own 30, and they run a jet sweep to Cooper Cup. Why? Because they needed the ball in Cooper Cup's hands, and the Bengals didn't do that. They didn't get the ball to Chase on the most important fourth and one that they had in that game. So I, I think you're pretty spot on there with your BB. 
Have you already bet the Chiefs at plus 700 for next year? Uh, I haven't, but I assure you at some point, I will be betting probably the Chiefs and the Bills because, I mean, even this year, I think that's why the Super Bowl maybe wasn't as intense for me this year too. I felt like I wasn't watching the two best teams in the NFL. I was just like the NFL season and playoffs, all the game was were so close. It was such a war of attrition. And like it was, the Bengals were a great story. Stafford, Aaron Donald, all those guys, OBJ, that's a great story. But I firmly still believed all along that the Bills and Chiefs were the two best teams. Just didn't work out for them. Next year, I would highly expect the Bills or Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, Chiefs plus 700, Bills plus 750. So they're the top two based on the, the odds I'm reading. You might not get the Chiefs at a better number than right now. <laughs> yeah, you're Honestly. right. Although you did this year, right? You got them, what, eight? I got, them eight I got them at eight to one, but that was when they were two and three or two and four. And I mean, surely they're not going to start that way again. So yeah, I'll probably get after it sooner rather than later. Yep. Well, now we... We have the long wait for football season. Football is over. Um, Most depressing day of the year for me when there's no football to talk about. So the long wait begins now. But, Colby, we'll uh, we'll get back with you uh, later this week, talk more OSU. Hopefully Fog Allen Fieldhouse is not too brutal tonight. As always, go Pokes.